Scripture message which is entitled God's uh, Clarion Call. God's Clarion Call. It's great on a Saturday night to be uh, preaching and I'm sure most of us in this place tonight are born again, are walking with God and know God. And so I really want to preach about the Clarion Call of God. Open your Bible with me to Matthew. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9 and 10. And I want to uh, just begin by reading some verses that you will have read so many times. They'll be very familiar with you. And uh, we're going to just then begin at chapter 9 and work our way through all the way through this chapter. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, you will be on time for tomorrow morning service. <laughs> now you're all scared, are you? <laughs> Glory to God. These are the uh, tremendous words from Matthew's Gospel. And this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Don't you long for those days to come? Hallelujah. I do. I, I long for the manifestation of the glory of God in the church at a level that we've not yet seen. Uh, I shared with the guys this morning that uh, I was honest with a group of my peers and colleagues some weeks ago and I wept over it and said, you know guys, I, I've got to say in all the years of ministry, I've not yet seen what I want to see. I'm longing for revival. I've never seen a nation in revival. I want to live in revival. And uh, I want to live in a time of revival. I don't think there's anything wrong with that motivation and that cry of heart. Uh, you read about some tremendous times of revival and uh, I just long to see those days. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a time when men and women under the condemnation and work of uh, the conviction of the Spirit of God to fall on their knees in the street and say, Lord, I messed up, save me and heal me and restore me. Wouldn't you just love to see that? I, I really would. And you can imagine what it was like as Jesus moved through the streets of the towns and villages, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Uh, that's the key verse for this, this evening, really. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm sure as you move through life, you are conscious of that that those who don't walk with God are harassed and stressed and perplexed, full of anxiety and have no peace in their heart. And to turn, they turn to every other answer other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be uh, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I make no apology 
for the challenge that I am going to deliver over this weekend on behalf of the Lord. Because I believe we as the church need to get back to the main thing that we exist for. We need to come right back to the basics of the call of God that we've been called to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the gospel. I love the message of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Hallelujah. So I believe every one of us in this house tonight, we are called to be communicators. You may well never mount the steps of a pulpit, but I want to lay down a challenge over this weekend so that every one of us will again become communicators of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got no choice, you've got a witness. Hallelujah. Uh, we need to have, have a greater commitment. We need to have a, a greater assurance and we need to have more ability and we need to hone our skills and craft uh, the gifting that God has already placed within us that we might be communicators of the glory of God. And, uh, you know, friends, sometimes we are so slow to open our mouths. And my cry is that throughout this weekend, we will pick up the challenge of the clarion call of God and we will again be able to communicate of the love of God wisely, well, and with great authority and conviction. You know, the whole of this chapter 9 builds to an amazing clarion call for all who would respond to the call of God. And in this chapter, Jesus deals with the deep barriers that bind the human heart. He deals with the turmoil of the human mind. He releases captives. He deals with the things that would hinder us from responding to the call of God. In this one chapter, as we move through to the climax of the latter verses where the harvest call comes in, you will find that God deals with the barriers and the hindrances that we so often flack up to use to be able to say it's okay. Maybe I'm not an evangelist. Maybe I'm not called to that. I've got news for you as I bang my hand on the pulpit with the authority of God. You are called to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe as a result of this week can together. We will again sharpen the sword of the Spirit under the unction of God and we will begin to communicate the love of God. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say it's going to be a seriously dangerous weekend. <laughs> None of that's in the introduction, Paul, but I'm sure you're doing okay. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Don't you just love Jesus? Marvellous, isn't it? I love preaching. I could be up here all night. <laughs> nothing like talking about Jesus, is there? Nothing at all. So the first thing that Jesus deals with is our inability to help ourselves. The sooner we adjust to that and release your heart and mind, the sooner we will begin to progress as God wants us to. Our inability to help ourselves. Come with me to chapter 9 and we'll read some verses. Chapter 9 verses 1 to 8. Okay, I'm about to blow my nose.
Bible says Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. That is interesting, isn't it? Because elsewhere he says he couldn't perform many miracles in his own town. And yet here in this chapter, we see the miraculous breakthrough. That's interesting, David. Hallelujah. So it says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, I love that. They were willing to take action. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, I love that as well. <laughs> you might as well forget hiding anything from Jesus. He knows everything. <laughs> Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Jesus heals the paralytic and whilst we know that this is a literal physical miracle, this is not a story to explain some type of biblical truth. This is a literal physical miracle that happened. But at the same time, Jesus is communicating something way beyond the miracle itself. He had something to reveal about himself through the miracle. He had something to reveal about his work through the miracle that is relevant today in the day in which we live. He was showing to us that man's situation is desperate without the intervention of God. Unless we come to Christ responding in faith to him, then we are unable to even begin to walk forward into the new life God has for us. Only through the work of Christ in us can we make any progress whatsoever. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop striving to make progress. Because only by God working in our lives can we make any spiritual headway and progress. And so let me point out several factors to you. Firstly, we notice that it was his friends who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. Now the man could have become resigned to his condition. The man could have accepted in his mind, this is the way I am and this is the way I am always going to be until I die physically. But he happened to have some, some friends of, who had faith, hallelujah, and they were filled with faith, hope and love. And so they wanted to do something for this man to help him to meet Jesus. We need friends like that, don't we? Hallelujah. We need friends who are filled with faith, hope and love who will be around us. And so here they bring this man to the Lord. 
Isn't it true, friends, that most people come to the Lord Jesus because of a friend? Because somebody bothered and took the time to talk to them about the love of Jesus. Somebody bothered to invite them or, or give their testimony or share their story or reach out in some way. An action of love. And this is what this was, wasn't it? It wasn't only faith, it was an action of love. And we need to be those type of people, friends who will intervene. And I am convinced that this church, I love coming to this church. Do you know that, Pastor David? It's never a, a chore for me to come and, and minister alongside you and serve you. It is a delight and an honor to be with you and to be with these people. Uh, but we need people who, who will respond, acknowledging that this place is a place of salvation and healing. There's a wonderful spirit in this fellowship. And we need to begin to ask questions of people that cut beyond just the surface. A lot of Christians are very reluctant to do that. Instead of just talking about the weather, <laughs> how good it is to actually get to the point where you can say, so how is life really going? How are you really and because we are so prone to say, oh yes, I'm doing fine, thank you very much, and on your way. When did somebody last really ask you, how are you really doing? And begin to probe and ask questions, not because we are nosy, but because we are concerned. And sometimes just those type of caring questions can be the first level of opening up a conversation with someone that you can Befriend. Don't be frightened to dig deeper because, friends, we have a world out there that is crying out. Harassed, stressed, perplexed, lost sheep without a shepherd. That's still the same today. We still see sheep that are lost without a shepherd. I was sitting with Paul in the airport and looking around and thinking, yeah, Everybody is harassed and rushing around and stressed, lost, without the shepherd. Maybe they won't make a move until you do and begin to communicate the love of God. So friends brought this man. Then Jesus addressed this man's sin before he addressed his sickness. He was revealing something here. Because only God can forgive sins. And yet Jesus from his own mouth says, your sins are forgiven. And he did that before he caused the miracle. And I suppose it opens up some fairly weighty questions. Because to the Orthodox Jew, you see, sickness was probably in that man's life as a result of his personal sin. Now we know that sin entered the world through man and sin came, sickness came as a result of sin. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we know that sickness will not be ultimately destroyed until the timing of God. 
And we're living in a world, let me share this with you, because this is a serious thing I'm saying here. There is a, a, a something horrendous, I find, as I travel going throughout the body of Jesus, where people are condemning those Christians who are not well or sick or going through something, saying they must have done some sin in their life. And this is a, a, is a horrible thing that I can see and be aware of. And so listen, friends, this is not how we should operate. This is not compassion. In the same verses, we find that Jesus looked at the crowd and his heart and his spirit was filled with compassion. And so when someone is going through a real difficult time, whether it's sickness or a problem in the life of the fellowship or someone you know and love, don't condemn them and say, Sinners brought this on. Sinners, the result is inherent sin. Sickness came through inherent sin. And listen, friend, that's the reality of it. And what we need to do is be filled with compassion and love instead of judgment and condemnation. And so turn to your neighbor and say, keep loving. I'm going to be preaching more about that tomorrow morning, about the love that we need to move in. So healing, as far as this man is concerned, could not come to him unless forgiveness had been received. But of course, Jesus had authority over all sin, authority over all sickness, and authority over death. Was this man's physical condition the result of his own sin rather than inherent sin? Well, come on, there are aspects that we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus has authority over sickness. We must conclude from this miracle at all. We must not conclude from this miracle at all. Sickness in a person's life has been caused by sin. All that forgiveness will automatically bring physical healing. I've rubbed shoulders or seen people who are taken through so many things. Oh, you've got to find out, discover what your problem is, confess it, confess it, confess it, jump through the hoops, then you've got to do this, then you've got to do that, and then you might just get your healing. Friends, I don't see that in the Word of God. I believe with all my heart the statement that Jesus made to these men still applies today. Look at what he said. Take heart, your son, your sins are forgiven. And he admired the faith. He saw the faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Thank God. Someone once said, God can heal. God can heal all sickness except the last one. And then... When you see him, you'll be made whole anyway. <laughs> I love the statement. I love, I, love, I love the statement. I thought, yes, God can heal all sickness. Except the last one. He's got to take you out somehow, hasn't he? <laughs> Hallelujah. I think of my father. What an amazing man. Rub shoulders with giants like A. A. Allen and Catherine Kuhlman and uh, uh, an amazing, amazing man of faith. But for the last five years of his life, while he still traveled, he was on kidney dialysis. 
and he would set up so he got his treatment in the town or the location where he was preaching and ministering, and he kept going. My mom always said, Norman, it's obvious you're going to die with your boots on. And guess what my mum says to me? Son, it's obvious. You're going to die with your boots on. <laughs> Either that or I'm leaving them behind. <laughs> There's going to be an awful lot of empty shoes, isn't there? <laughs> oh, glory. So, friends, come on, isn't it true that we can thank God in this miracle? Jesus is revealing his glory, his authority over sickness, but primarily... He was pointing to our inability to help ourselves and move from the position of separation from God by sin. Jesus deals with the heart first and then the physical body. Jesus is able to bring forgiveness to the soul, health to the body because of his authority. And I want to say and stand on this platform, I believe we should receive healing. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Healing. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is healing by the power of the blood of Jesus. I still believe by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God for this amazing gospel. We will not move to the left or the right, guys, as we were hearing this morning. Then secondly... Jesus deals with our isolation. I know you've heard me preach on this subject quite a lot, but please turn to your neighbor and say, you're stuck with me. We're meant to be together. <laughs> oh, glory. Wonderful Jesus. Do you know, folks, I sense the anointing of God tonight. I hope you do. We're in a wonderful, unique position right now. Let me turn your attention to chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Jesus deals with our isolation. He calls Matthew the tax collector. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Some months ago at an AGM service in our fellowship, I stood before our people and I said in our beautiful state-of-the-art complex, I said, I don't mind if God really messes this church up. <laughs> I'm quite happy for the carpet to get drenched with tears. Something fascinating has started to happen, not through anything I've done, 
But some years ago, a couple of years ago, a whole family was born again uh, by two of their elder children. Big family. And mum and dad were alcoholics and I baptised both of them and they were gloriously set free and they are living for Jesus. The, girl, the woman works for us part-time now in the ministry and uh, Dean is his name and he's such, if you look at him, you know, can I say this with the greatest respect, you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. <laughs> Paul knows who I'm talking about but I mean oh Lord never let him hear this tape but he looks like a born again thug <laughs> you know and his wife keeps coming to me and she says oh pastor she says why do people think my husband looks so gruesome <laughs> I said to him, love, don't worry, God's going to use it. God's going to use it. Well, I'll tell you, he started to work in, in a homeless place in Bristol. And uh, just last Sunday, uh, he, he brought in a, a homeless guy, a, a Muslim, sitting at the back with Dean. And uh, I, I preached my heart out and... I tell you, the, the transformation we've seen in that guy is absolutely awesome. He keeps saying things like, I've got Jesus now. He doesn't understand anything. He, he, doesn't, he just says, oh, I've got it. I've got the spirit. I've got the spirit. I've, I've got the spirit. And I want to tell you, although I'm not this there this Sunday, it's rolling. There's another fall coming this week. I've heard there's another fall coming this week. And I'm saying, Lord, bring all those homeless people in. Well, I'll tell you, on that same AGM I said to, my, to the fellowship where I serve, I says, listen, over the next few months, you might come into church and be sitting next to somebody who doesn't quite smell very nice. And I said, Lord, give us a problem. We don't mind the problem. Because we need to see those who are harassed, helpless and lost coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We really do. That's the cry of our hearts in these days. We don't mind, Lord, if you mess church up. And actually, if you read the story of the life of Jesus in every gospel, you'll find that's exactly what he did, didn't he? Really, really mess church up. <laughs> Hallelujah. They didn't want him around, did they? Because he was so radical. I'm never going to get through this message. Where am I? Matthew. Wonderful. Well, I don't need to go into it, do I really? Tax collectors were hated, hated. You know how they were viewed in society. But, you know, Matthew opened up his heart, his home, and his hand. And I find we've got to be like that. In opening up his heart, he lost friends and lost income. When he opened his heart, people who had been willing to previously associate with him wouldn't have wanted anything to do with Matthew any longer. I want to say I've personally walked through that on many occasions. Thank God Matthew met a friend who would be a real friend. And he was the friend of publicans and sinners as well as the tax collector. And then opening his home meant 
He was criticized along with Jesus. Can I say this to your friends? You might as well get comfortable with being criticized and gossiped about because it'll happen if you're really living for Jesus. But stuff it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry about the deep theology. It doesn't matter. I'd prefer to have no reputation and be preaching the sound gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me say this. I'd prefer to be Pentecostal in my experience and experiencing the demonstration of the power of God with all the criticism. I'd prefer the manifestations of the Spirit of God flowing in the life of the church with all the criticisms it brings than to be in a place where nothing is happening at all. So turn to your neighbor and say, you might as well get used to it. It's great to be Pentecostal. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You don't have a problem with hearing that, do you? Not at all. And so Matthew opened up his home, opened up his heart, opened up his home. And dinner was held in Matthew's house. All the people who were unacceptable to the religious leaders were enjoying time with Jesus. <laughs> Marvellous. Time with Jesus. And in-house. Come on, church. Have we become so rigid in our walk with God that actually we've moved everything in the building and we don't rub shoulders with people in our home? through normal life because I find we will reach people in the home before they might be, might be willing to come through the doors of this house. So it may well be that you need to, before the next church outreach or whatever, maybe you need to invite a family member or a friend or, or somebody you've been talking to in the bus queue or the school playground. Why don't you invite them for a meal and bless them? Befriend them and love them. And then next time when the outreach is on, they're more likely when you invite them to say, yes, I'll come to that. We have earned the right to ask them. Because we've loved and befriended them. And I think we've got to build bridges in our home very often. Before we'll see them in the house of the Lord. And then opening his hand meant he became a worker in the harvest field. We don't know a great deal about Matthew. But we do know that we've, we're fairly confident from historic records passed on. That he ministered in Palestine. And, uh, but what we do know he was a faithful, loyal man of God. Who worked with a pen in his hand. And wrote the first gospel. God used him in a powerful way. All because one day God said come and follow me. And he obeyed the call and continued to serve the master. You know, folks, I am 55 next. And I'm constantly aware of the privilege and the honor of just being a servant of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Just a servant of Jesus. That's all we want to be. Matthew was like that. And he's, a record, he's recorded here, we'll never forget Matthew. Because he obeyed the call. 
Jesus does not want to just take hold of people and leave them living the life they've always lived. He wants them to live a brand new life. Mr. Soundman. Verses 14 to 17. Let's read them together because we find Jesus deals with the criticism of the Pharisees. Isn't it interesting? Smack bang in the, in the middle of this chapter, we, we have the criticism. <laughs> it comes, you know. Then John's disciples came, verse 14, and asked him, How is it that we, the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? Why are we so prone to get hung up on religious peripheral things that are irrelevant when it comes to walking with Jesus? And these men had... Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Thank God Jesus was saying the old order is about to become obsolete. The religious system is no longer required. No wonder they were frantic because they were about to lose their jobs actually. They were being told by the Lord, by the way guys, you might be criticizing me, but the bridegroom is still with you. But one day the bridegroom won't be here and he'll be carried away back into the glory. When that comes, a new season of dispensation will come. A whole new day of the wine will come and the old order will no longer be needed and their religious system will no longer be needed. You'll be out of a job, guys. They couldn't see it. And so, friends, truth of it is, what Jesus came to do cannot be contained by the skin of the ruined, obsolete religious system that man has sought to build. That's why we need renewal and revival. Because the new wine is ruined when it's poured in the old wine skin. We need the renewal of the Spirit of God. So Jesus doesn't want to just patch up your old life and improve your world. He wants to make you new, whole, and fill you with his new life. And then thirdly, turn to your neighbor and say, we're doing really well. Thirdly, how wonderful Jesus deals with broken homes, broken hope, and broken bodies. Look at verses 18 to 26. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, what a different spirit you see there. What a different attitude of heart 
The Pharisees come with a bombastic question that is really to criticize. I've seen that, and I'm sure you have. But here comes a man whose spirit is wonderful. Humility and faith. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, that was enough to tell Jesus that she died, by the way. They would only be present playing the instruments because she died already. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. Of course she was. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. And for him to come to Jesus was to break the religious rules. The outcome of his visit to Jesus once again for him meant that he would now be excluded and regarded as an outsider from the inner circle of his colleagues. But he wasn't bothered because his home was broken. His hope was broken. And his daughter's body was broken. Actually, Mark 5, we don't have time to go into it. Mark 5 gives us more detail. But actually, it may well have been the delay. We don't know how long this took. It may well have been the delay of the woman receiving the miracle that delayed Jesus' arrival. And yet we see something special here. He came and knelt before Jesus. He came in humility. He came in faith believing when he said, just come. Put your hand upon her and she'll live. He experiences delay, but he waits patiently. That's not easy, is it? Others are saying, don't bother the teacher. Jesus ignored that. And the young lady received the miracle. His daughter is restored. So faith sometimes... It requires us to do what we don't feel like doing. This would have been the last thing that Jairus really wanted to do. But he came and knelt before the Lord. And then, finally, Jesus deals with our inability to see and speak. Look at these verses 27 to 34. 
As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on our son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, Do you believe that I am... When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked... And he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? Isn't it interesting that every one of these miracles, Jesus makes reference to the faith in the heart of the believer. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This miracle is just before Jesus lays down the challenge for us all to go into the harvest field and reach the lost, to reach those who are harassed, helpless, lost sheep without a shepherd. Friends, isn't it true? We do know that before we receive Christ, we are blind, unable to see our own need and the needs of others. We don't see with the love and the compassion. We don't see or understand the truth. But when Jesus comes, our eyes are opened. The eyes of our hearts are enlightened. And we gain understanding. We've got to respond to what we see. I wonder what you see as you move through your life. So easy for us to just become accustomed to seeing the pain and the harassment and the condition of people. We need to again become tender, compassionate and caring to the point where we'll do something. And then before we receive Christ, friends, come on, we're unable to communicate the truth of God's word. But the moment that we receive the Lord, we begin to communicate differently. We can't deal with the powers of darkness before Jesus comes. But when he comes, he brings his authority. And every day, we need to, leave, we need to use that authority. Conclusion, this message is called the clarion call. What is a clarion call? It's a trumpet blast. It's a short, sharp stop that demands attention. It's a loud proclamation. Jesus is actually saying, wake up church, because the fields are white and harvest. Look up and see. Look up and begin to speak differently. Look up and begin to act differently. Look up and begin to respond differently. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. How must we view the harvest field in the same way that Jesus saw people? With compassion and love, with expectation and authority, 
and with awareness that we're being called and sent by the Lord himself. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I believe with all my heart before the coming of the Lord, we will move into the greatest time of reaping the world has ever seen. I'd love to be alive when it happens, Lord. I'd love to see it. God willing. Until then, I believe we need to be aware of the fact that God has called us. He's equipped us. He sent us to do the work of the gospel. May we fulfill the call and be effective, filled with compassion, filled with love, filled with strength, filled with authority to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. In Jesus' name. Would you like to stand with me? Just quietly put anything down that you have in your hand and stand reverently before the Lord. Lord, if we are honest, we are not seeing what we want to see. Even in our own families, our neighborhood. And there is a cry in our hearts tonight, Lord, that we would say, Father, whatever it takes, work in us to enable us to be more effective. Would you fill us with the spirit of compassion? Would you bring the call of God again upon your people? Would you send people as a result of, even, as a result of this meeting into the harvest field? And may we faithfully preach the gospel. Enable us, Lord, to stand in the truth of your word. Enable us, Lord, to communicate well and wisely. Father, would, you, would we, we would ask that we would encounter people as we rub shoulders in the workplace and in the street. Lord, Give us a willingness to open our homes, our hearts, and our hands in service. And as a result of this weekend, Lord, with the challenge that is laid down, may we see the harvest through your eyes. And may we see the fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen.